0: All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, August 30th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I understand today is a big day for you.
1: Mosh, my little girl, goes off to kindergarten. And uh, as the kids say, I'm in my feelings. Is that what they say? (laughs) (laughs)
0: I don't know, Jill. We're like way past Gen Z terminology.
1: No, I'm I'm emo. I broke down and I was definitely very teary eyed. We had to drop off our school supplies today. Um, I ran into my sister-in-law, who was also dropping off school supplies with my niece, and like started to tear up. And she's like, "It's okay, I get it." Um, but at the same time, uh, as we have discussed, I'm very excited to have order back in my life. You know, when kids are not in school or camp, it's like you don't know what year it is, let alone what day. Um, and you posted really the funniest clip on, on the Instagram account today. From the account full of mom sense, um, and it was basically this clip from The Hangover, titled "Parents Leaving the School Drop Off Line on the First Day of School." Let's just play a clip. We are back, baby. We are back. We're back. And Mosh, I imagine there might be some some parents right now um, who are literally dropping their kids off at school as we speak, and who really might be feeling that. <laughs>
0: Great clip from Hangover. Uh, very relevant, I understand, to many parents. Jill, we posted it and we got a variety of reactions. We got people who are like, Oh my God, this is so me right now. I <laughs> I want to have my eight hours back and it is back. By the way, some people have already started school a couple weeks ago. So this has been relevant for folks over time. I think we in the Northeast start a little bit later. Uh, and then there are parents who are like, No, I totally miss my kids. Like, this isn't me at all. Like, I would want to spend all day, all the time with my children. So I understand there's a wide range of reactions out there, but this meme has certainly got a lot of traction in uh, the Mo News community.
1: You know what, Mosh? Many things can be true at one time. Mm. And, and that is, I think, the bottom line with parenting. You could want your kids to go to school. You're dying for them to just go to bed. Uh, <laughs> and then they go to bed and you, all you do is look at your phone and, and the pictures that you took all day of them. So it's, it's yeah. one of the many uh, roller coasters that you'll have uh, as a parent. For now, though, let's get to some news here. The latest on Hurricane Idalia's expected path, where and when this storm is expected to make landfall. All right, Big Pharma, let's make a deal. The Biden administration lists 10 drugs that it will be targeting for Medicare price negotiations. And then there were still a lot to count, but uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez is suspending his long shot 2024 Republican presidential bid chaos in the Tennessee house as the gun debate takes over and ultimately nothing really gets done. A new study finds that dirty air is actually worse for human health than tobacco or alcohol. He's just not that into you. Amazon CEO has a brutal message for remote workers. This probably won't work out. How Google is looking to fight back against AI images And what the late night hosts are doing to try to help striking writers. Plus, Moshe's on this day in history.
0: Speaking of late night, a little history for David Letterman from back in the day. Uh, We'll also talk about how LBJ got Thurgood Marshall on the Supreme Court. It's a really interesting backstory on this day in history. And of course, in music news, a little biggie, a little ditty.
1: Okay, let's start with what we know about Idalia's path. As of this recording, Tuesday night, Idalia is a strong Category 2 hurricane with maximum sustained winds of 100 miles per hour. The system is expected to, quote, rapidly intensify overnight. Idalia is expected to make landfall between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday. So depending on when you are listening to this podcast, um, Idalia may already have hit Florida Possibly as a powerful Category 3 or 4 hurricane. Right now it is looking like um, it's going to hit south of Perry, Florida in the state's Big Bend area. Forecasters are warning of record-breaking storm surge of 10 to 15 feet. The National Weather Service office in Tallahassee said, quote, locations may be uninhabitable for several weeks or even months because of wind damage and that storm surge. Central and North Florida could see tornadoes all day long. Uh, The Tampa area, which is about 200 miles south of where that storm is expected to make landfall, not totally out of the woods. Officials say the city could see really damaging storm surge as well early tomorrow. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has activated the National Guard President Biden approving that emergency declaration. Other states chipping in here, Texas and Pennsylvania, have sent resources to Florida, including search and rescue teams. And Georgia and South Carolina have also declared states of emergency.
0: So they're calling this an unprecedented event because no major hurricanes on record have ever passed through the bay abutting the Big Bend. This is the area north of Tampa um, as the state turns towards the panhandle. Less people live there, Jill, but because of its shape, it could see massive storm surge uh, and major damage for the residents that are there. Uh, Hopefully they've all gotten out, though. On the island of Cedar Key, the commissioner joined other city officials in walking door by door with mandatory orders to get everyone out saying they didn't have a choice. We're not going to be able to save you. And so when they went around saying storm surge is going to be 15 feet That is uh, up to the third story of some buildings, if you have three stories. Though some people are quoted, I've been watching the local news reports, uh, as saying they're going to stay and try to, quote-unquote, protect their belongings. Florida is very organized when it comes to these major storms. They already have 30,000 utility workers on standby to make repairs. As you mentioned, the National Guard is readying there. That's nearly 6,000 troops that have been activated. And this part of Florida, as we mentioned on the pods recently, um, has seen some major storms of late Hurricane Ian last year hitting the west coast of Florida, responsible for 150 deaths, $120 billion in damage, 52,000 structures damaged, 20,000 of them destroyed. Uh, and they're still rebuilding from that. Now, that is down in Fort Myers area. This is much more north of there. Uh, nonetheless, this does come, as Noah has said, the 2023 hurricane season is going to be far busier than initially forecast because of the extremely warm ocean temperatures. Uh, we've been talking about how Gulf waters and the areas around Florida are upwards of 90 degrees. That is a number of degrees warmer than usual. And that uh, is a turbocharge, super booster for these types of storms. And right now we're in late August. August and September are the peak of hurricane season. One thing people are paying attention to, Idalia's name. It starts with an I. As you may know, hurricanes are named in alphabetical order. But it just so happens that the I storms have been particularly um, terrible in recent years. They've actually had to retire several of the names. Four of the six storms with I names have been retired since 2017. Uh, I mentioned Ian last year. Some of you might remember Ida in 2021, Igor, uh, Iota, Irma. I don't know what it is about these I-name storms, but they've been uh, particularly bad. It also comes as there's a rare supermoon, which can cause higher than normal tides. So you have the warm water, you have the supermoon, you have the I-name, all of it together. um, Very concerning for folks. So hope, you know, it's too late at this point as you're listening to this pod to evacuate. So we're hoping that whoever uh, was told to get out, got out and is in a safe place right now. Uh, And the only thing that, you know, they say is somewhat positive, Jill, is that this thing you know, didn't take direct aim at the Tampa St. Pete area, which is a much more heavily populated area.
1: I'm glad you mentioned just the the unprecedented nature of this hurricane because I've been following the National Weather Service, their Twitter feed or their X feed. And they wrote, when you try to compare this storm to others, don't, no one has seen this. That is an eerie message.
0: Yeah, it's at the curve of Florida and again on the Gulf. So the shape of... Um, where the land meets the sea makes it a particularly dangerous area when it comes to storm surge, especially with a storm of this size.
1: All right, Big Pharma, let's make a deal. The Biden administration has released its long-awaited list of the first 10 medicines that will be subject to price negotiations with Medicare. This negotiation process was authorized under the Inflation Reduction Act, which Biden signed into law last year. And it follows literally decades of debate over whether or not the federal government should be allowed to negotiate drug prices directly with pharmaceutical companies. The Biden administration is going to be focused on 10 medicines to start, which includes blood thinners and treatments for diabetes, as well as drugs that are used to treat kidney disease, heart failure and arthritis. One of these medicines, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, Imbruvica, um, which in a recent one-year period was taken by 20,000 Medicare beneficiaries who had blood cancer, and that has a price of $17,000 a month. And then another drug, the blood thinner Eliquis, it was taken by about 3.7 million people who are on Medicare. That costs about $600 or less a month. Um, but you could see the prices are varied here Um, But this affects a ton of people.
0: Yeah, we are hearing from a bunch of people in this community who say that they have relatives who stopped taking their medication because it's gotten so expensive. And many of these are very costly to the Medicare program and to Americans. The drugs on the list, just the 10 that were named, they're going to negotiate about, account for $50 billion with a B in Medicare prescription drug costs just between June of 2022 and 2023. A reminder that Medicare does provide health insurance coverage for 65 million people in the US, and Medicare patients taking the drugs spent a total of $3.4 billion in out of pocket costs on them in just the last year. As for the timeline here, as how this negotiation will work, the government plans to meet with drug manufacturers in the fall and also hold patient focused listening sessions. By February, in just about six months, the government will make its first offer on a maximum fair price and then give drug makers time to respond. Drug companies that refuse to be part of the new negotiation process will be heavily taxed as part of this. And uh, keep in mind, for those of you uh, waiting for the new prices, they will not take effect for about three years.
1: And there has been a lot of pushback from the drug makers. Six pharmaceutical companies, including AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Johnson & Johnson and Merck, They've taken the Biden administration to court, as has the industry's main lobbying group, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, saying that the drug list announcement came from a, quote, rushed process focused on short term political gain rather than what's best for patients. They are saying in a statement that many of the medicines that were selected for price setting already have significant rebates and discounts because of the robust private market negotiation that occurs in the Part D program of Medicare today. And they also say that there could be some, you know, unexpected consequences here. For example, you have these pharmacy managers that could potentially move the drugs to different tiers that would require higher out-of-pocket payments or require patients try other drugs first or get approval before a prescription can be covered. Republican lawmakers really critical of the plan for that reason. Uh, Also, they say companies might pull back on introducing new drugs because they could be subjected to future price negotiations.
0: And Democrats say that, you know, we need to fight for people to get less costly drugs. By the way, these 10 are just the start. They plan to add more over time. The way they're going through this is they're going through the drugs that are most costly to the Medicare program based on price. Uh, and picking from that group. It is very clear that Biden is looking to make this an issue on the campaign trail. In remarks yesterday, he said, we're going to keep standing up to big pharma and we're not going to back down. So it reminds me of the Tom Petty song there. <laughs> but you know, uh, big pharma, not popular. And clearly Democrats think that there's an opportunity here to stress to older Americans, by the way, they tend to vote. Uh, what the White House is doing for you to lower the cost of your medications. And so expect to hear this as a theme on the 2024 campaign trail. It's an issue that does pull well with Americans. In a survey last year from the Kaiser Family Foundation, 89% of Democrats and 77% of Republicans said they support allowing Medicare to negotiate prices. Now that it's attached to Biden, we'll see if those numbers split, especially on the Republican side. That said, this does appear to be popular. You know, typically things that lower your cost are pretty popular uh, to most Americans. And as I mentioned, they're going to be adding more medications to the list. They plan to start negotiating 15 additional drugs for 2027, another 15 on top of that in 2028, then another 20 on top of that. So, pharma's not going to hear the end of it from Medicare as far as negotiation here. And one more feature of the Inflation Reduction Act that the White House has been touting. A $35 monthly cap on out-of-pocket costs for insulin, that cap will start in 2025 in just over a year, and a $2,000 annual cap on patient costs for drugs taken at home. So uh, a bunch of measures here that passed last year, Democrats will be running on that they uh, hope appeal to uh, seniors uh, who are facing ever higher drug costs. And as we mentioned at the top, some people have just stopped taking certain drugs because it's just getting too pricey. All right, Joel, we have a lot more to get to in today's Speed Read. But first, we want to thank one of the sponsors we love here at the Mo News Podcast, Bolin Branch, a longtime sponsor, a longtime partner here. And they have made this summer of record heat a bit easier with some really soft and breathable sheets. We first got them in our house earlier this year. We've been loving them. I know you guys have them as well. Bolin Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch, sheets are made with organic cotton and don't include the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands. And the sheets do get softer with every wash. And right now, they're offering a special deal for the MoNews community. You can get 15% off with your first order when you use the promo code Monus, MoNews, M O N E W S, over at bullandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B O L L A N D, branch.com. Promo code MoNews. So you can sleep better at night with Bowl and Branch sheets. Keep in mind, exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: Time now for the speed read from Politico. There is one fewer Republican presidential candidate to choose from this morning. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez announcing Tuesday that he is suspending his long shot 2024 Republican presidential race after he failed to make the cut for the GOP debate stage last week. In an announcement on Tuesday, he said, quote, running for president has been the greatest honor of my life. He also vowed to continue to amplify the voices of the Hispanic community, the fastest growing voting group in our country. Suarez campaign uh, lasted about 75 days and he struggled to get even one percent of the vote. And more significantly, get enough donors. He was one of the candidates that was handing out those $20 gift cards to donors who gave him as little as $1 in order to qualify for the debate stage. Um, and even that was not enough.
0: No cashier gift cards, by the way, folks, if you got one from Suarez, uh, Burgum <laughs> was the other candidate who did that. Uh, to put it in perspective, Jill, this 75 day campaign that was the greatest honor of his life, that is seven and a half Scaramucci's, that was the advisor to uh, former president trump who lasted 10 days in the white house uh someone from england chimed in that's one and a half liz trusses liz truss uh was prime minister for about 40 something days over there in the uk it was basically the chris humphreys kim kardashian marriage which lasted 72 days uh again the suarez campaign 75 days again for perspective here but we say that in jest you know some of these candidates announced you are kind of like where are they going to find their constituency what is their message who's going to vote for them and suarez was one of them did hear from a number of people who live in Miami being like, he's our mayor and we have no idea why he's doing this. We assume he's going to come back here soon. So that leaves about 15 candidates left in the Republican field. Really, we're talking about five ones with a serious chance, a realistic shot of competing with Trump, maybe getting to 10% in the polls. You know, we're talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis. And, you know, I'll throw in Mike Pence and Chris Christie as well, even though they have more niche constituencies within the party right now. Um, As far as the people you saw on stage earlier this month on the Republican debate stage, next month in the next debate uh, in California at the end of September, uh, it becomes even more challenging. The bar rises. And so they're going to need even more donors and they're going to need 3% uh, in a number of polls to make that stage. And that's where, again, like a Doug Burgum or an Asa Hutchinson might have the same trouble Francis Suarez had. In this early stage so this is not uncommon in the campaign trail a few months out before the primary you already start to see the dropouts we're sort of at peak candidates july august the dropouts begin already in the fall
1: switching gears here from the washington post uh, this is a story a lot of you have been writing into uh, the mo news instagram account about tennessee legislators concluding a rowdy special session on public safety yesterday without approving significant gun control measures. And this is despite outcry following a deadly March shooting at a local Christian school. It came as protesters, including parents of students from the school, were chanting, vote them out, and were booted from the gallery by Republican leadership. The Republican governor, Bill Lee, had ordered legislators back to Nashville for the special summer session After a tumultuous spring that started with the tragedy at the nearby Covenant School where three staffers and three nine-year-olds were killed. You might remember that spring session uh, ended with the high-profile expulsion of two young black legislators who had protested for gun control proposals on the House floor. The expulsions brought national condemnation and the two men, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, they eventually regained their seats and were back for this week's special session Little was accomplished this week, though, despite the governor's wishes that his own party do more. The Tennessee House, which has a Republican supermajority and just 20 Democratic legislators, ended up extending a tax break for gun safes and a free gun lock program. They codified a version of the governor's executive order strengthening background checks and passed a law requiring the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to conduct an annual human trafficking study.
0: But the governor and even some Republicans were hoping for much more here, Jill. As the session closed, parents of the Covenant school children stood in the back of the chamber holding each other. Some were weeping and said, They'll be back in January. By the way, that's when the Tennessee legislature comes back in the session. It's one of the part time legislatures we have across the country. Uh, some only meet a couple months out of the year. So the governor here, uh, Governor Lee, actually lost, his family lost a couple people they knew in that Covenant school shooting. He's been pushing for his Republican colleagues to uh, pass an extreme risk protection order law that would have prevented mentally unstable individuals from possessing guns for a limited period, even a limited period. But uh, most state legislatures do not want to go ahead with that. They are staunchly gun rights. And so they didn't get that. Uh, Some advocates were also hoping for a bill that would penalize gun owners who didn't store their guns properly, Uh, apparently no interest in passing that either. Uh, The action was very dramatic inside the House chamber. Uh, The two Justins you mentioned earlier, also uh, taking incoming from Republicans again. Uh, I'm sure they're not so pleased to see them back in session, but they won special elections. Their constituents are like, no, 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 we voted them in, send them back to Nashville. So they were back. Justin Jones was part of the debate. And criticized one of the pieces of legislation. The Speaker of the House determined that he was out of order and silenced him for the rest of the session. A lot of people writing in saying, I can't believe this is democracy where, you know, basic debate is getting silenced here. As you mentioned, uh, citizens, including moms and dads from the Covenant School, were kicked out of the gallery even for silently holding signs. Uh, Again, the Republicans around the House there saying that's out of order and we can't have that. So uh, there was a lot of focus on the debate itself, as well as the theater sort of happening around inside the chamber and around the Capitol. Uh, And as I mentioned, the Tessie House now back in January. We will see, though, if the debate comes up again in just about six months.
1: From CBS News, air pollution is more dangerous to the health of the average person than smoking or alcohol, according to a benchmark study released Tuesday. Yet the level of funding set aside to confront the challenge is a fraction of the amount earmarked for fighting infectious diseases. This is according to research from the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago. Its annual Air Quality Life Index report showed that fine particulate air pollution, which comes from vehicle and industrial emissions, wildfires and more, remains the, quote, greatest external threat to public health. The average person loses about 2.3 years off of their life expectancy because of pollution, fine particulate matter linked to lung disease, heart disease, strokes, and cancer. That's compared to tobacco use, which reduces global life expectancy by 2.2 years, and child and maternal malnutrition, which is responsible for a reduction of 1.6 years.
0: So their estimate in the study is that if the world was to permanently reduce these pollutants to meet World Health Organization standards, literally 17.8 billion life years could be saved.
1: It's It's a weird way to think.
0: (laughs) It's a weird way to say it. That's the way they put it. It sounded like a big number. It's effectively two and a half years of life per the world's 8 billion people, if that makes more sense.
1: Yes, I I could somewhat process that.
0: There you go. So, and this is not all even, you know, some areas of the world uh, are impacted most by this, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, Pakistan, uh, the top four most polluted countries in the world. But with these wildfires that we've seen um, in Europe, in particular in Canada recently, you know, we have been seeing a lot of this pollution here in the U.S. So this impacts the world globally. Uh, Asia and Africa, though, do bear the greatest burden. As they're saying, though, there's not real funding going to this. Uh, their uh, numbers show that about $300,000 $300, is spent for the entire continent of Africa to tackle air pollution. So basically nothing. In the U.S., they noted that the action taken in the 70s, the Clean Air Act, reduced pollution by 65% over the last 50 years. It's helped gain the average American One and a half more years of life. So some of these environmental bills matter in terms of, you know, lifespan, uh, the clean water bill, you know, a lot of these bills that came out in the 60s and 70s. And so that's why they're continually trying to find ways to continue to up the ante here um and uh you know help ensure people can remain healthy uh but their big concern jill is that with these threat of wildfires uh linked to the hotter temperatures the drier conditions we're seeing globally uh that this will only continue to become a bigger issue and this sort of reminds me of what we talked about from arnold schwarzenegger a couple months ago that he wanted to rename climate change pollution because it resonates with people more and people get that pollution is really bad, whereas climate change is you know, still debatable in some
1: circles. Look, we experienced that really toxic air from the Canadian wildfires here in New York. And it was like- a, For a few days. For for a <laughs> few days, and we're losing our minds. I mean, it was basically, it was like the end of the world. And we've talked about it here on the podcast that other places, this is just the norm for them. Yeah. And not just the West Coast of the United States in places like California. Uh, there are countries where where this is just their air quality
0: yeah many people who've traveled to china know this by the way one of the things that came out in this report is that china has improved its air over time um but still you know there are uh areas of the world where you're living with those aqi ratings above 150 200 on a daily basis again in south asia pakistan bangladesh india uh and it does have a real effect on your life
1: From Insider.com, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy seems to have run out of patience with remote workers refusing to come back to the office. For Amazon's executives, summoning staff back to the office has been particularly controversial. And after being hit with everything from criticism to staff petitions, it seems that the Amazon boss has just reached the end of his tether. In an internal meeting earlier this month, Jassy said that if the staff refused to come back to their desks, They would not have a spot on the payroll in a recording obtained by Insider. He says, quote, it is past the time to disagree and commit. And if you can't disagree and commit, I also understand that. But it's probably not going to work out for you at Amazon because we are going back to the office at least three days a week. I love that three days a week is is putting his foot down. When you think about just how far that's even come from a few years ago, no one would even thought of working from home two days a week.
0: Things changed, right? There is that permanent change, and it's not just at Amazon, Uh, Meta's seeing this, Disney seeing this, Starbucks is seeing this. They're all wrestling with workers who want to hold on to their pandemic era flexibility. And what's interesting, Jill, is just look at the rhetoric from Amazon in just the last year, just last September. Jassy told staff he had no plans to ask them to return to their desks. He said, We're fine with this whole remote situation. And then fast forward to February, just six months ago. And he said, Actually, we're going to need you back a majority of the week. People are like, Come on. And he's been pushing and pushing. And then last month, Amazon employees were told they would be forced into, quote, voluntary resignation if they refused to return. Then you have this internal meeting leak where Jesse's like, I'm done with everybody. You need to start coming back to the office. It matters to us. Um, we see it reflect in our productivity. We see it reflect in our numbers. This is a frustration a lot of employers are having, Joe. We reported a recent Gallup survey a couple of days ago on the Instagram feed that found that people who are working remotely permanently are less connected to the office culture, less wedded to the success of their company if they're completely remote, and uh, employers are seeing that, and so they're trying to figure out how to do this hybrid thing, and there's some people who don't want don't even want hybrid, right? They say, "I can do my job from home i don't need to be sitting at a desk anymore and so you have this coming at loggerheads. Someone told me recently that they feel this is a uniquely American phenomenon that in europe you're not seeing this in most of the world you 're not seeing this people went back to work there's not this tug of war happening. Why? because they 've always had a better work-life balance in many uh countries in developed world we in america very bad at work-life balance our first taste of it came during covid and we don't want to relinquish it
1: yeah you had a lot of parents who were like oh sitting down for dinner with my kids that's really nice I, i i don't want to miss that every night or five nights a week
0: two hours of commuting sucks and let's not do it yeah
1: From the BBC, Google running a trial for a digital watermark to spot images made by artificial intelligence. It's their latest attempt to fight disinformation. It's developed by DeepMind, Google's AI arm, ID. It will identify images generated by machines. And it works by embedding changes to individual pixels in images so that watermarks are invisible to the human eye, but detectable by computer. They do warn, though, that DeepMind said it is not, quote, foolproof against extreme image manipulation. As the technology evolves, it is becoming increasingly more complex to tell the difference between real images and artificially generated ones. AI image generators have become mainstream with tens of millions of users.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see it happen all the time. People got fooled last week with the fake mugshots of Donald Trump before the real one came out, pictures of the Pope, pictures of Pentagon allegedly being attacked a few weeks ago that messed with markets. It's interesting here, Google because Google is also building out BARD, its own AI technology, at the same time trying to come up with a solution for the problems it's creating, or at least, you know, it's creating AI and they hope people use it for good things, but they do need to effectively, also referee some of the technology.
1: So, Mosh, if anyone out there sees a picture of me in the Mo News office in Brooklyn, it's probably AI generated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Julie, you were there once, and we're using it. Uh, we took a bunch of photos of you in the office to prove it. But beyond that one outfit you wore that one day, uh, yes, it's definitely AI.
1: Luckily, I basically just wear all black all the time, so y- you could probably use that for different days.
0: So Google has its own image generator called Imogen. And it's a system for creating and checking watermarks that will only apply to images created using this tool. So again, they're going to try to figure out a way to create these watermarks to help computers detect what is AI, what isn't AI, and then hopefully uh, have something applicable to consumers soon enough. Because, you know, we'll get questions almost on a daily basis, Jill, from people saying, is this real? because it looks really real. And some of the AI photos could really fool you.
1: And from Variety, five rival late night TV hosts, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver are teaming up with Spotify for, quote, Strike Force 5. It is a limited series podcast talking about the WGA writer strike, which is on the cusp of entering its fifth month. Strike Force 5 launches today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. So after the strike started on May 2nd, the group of suddenly unemployed talk show hosts started to meet on Zoom to talk about the issues that the work stoppage created, according to Spotify. But what happened instead was, quote, a series of hilarious and compelling conversations, now, Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, Myers, and Oliver invite you to listen in on their once private chats on this all new podcast. The limited series will run for at least 12 episodes. All five will participate in each episode while the leader of the conversation rotates.
0: This sounds legitimately entertaining. Uh, so after you finish this pod, definitely go check that out. Uh, all proceeds received by the host from Strike Force 5 will go to out-of-work staff on the hosts' respective shows. Some of the late-night hosts had pledged to pay their teams at least a few weeks' worth of wages during the strike. Separately, Spotify has struck a deal with Trevor Noah, the former host of The Daily Show, for a weekly current events and interview podcast that will debut later this year. So a lot of uh, late-night comedians making their way to this audio world. All right, now, time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1967. On This Day, Thurgood Marshall becomes the first African American to be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, uh, nearly 200 years into American history. He would remain on the Supreme Court for about 24 years. Marshall was a lawyer. The high watermark of his career was as a litigator, as uh, he argued the Brown versus Board of Education case. That was the case that led the Supreme Court to find that separate but equal was not in fact equal and was unconstitutional. Uh, He then gets appointed to a federal courtship by JFK. And then there's this fascinating maneuver um, this month in 1967. Lyndon Johnson knew he wanted to appoint the first black man onto the Supreme Court. So what does he do? He takes his attorney general, reappoints him to another role. He then appoints a guy named Ramsey Clark to be his attorney general. Why? Ramsey Clark's father, Tom Clark was a justice on the Supreme Court, and LBJ knew by appointing his son as attorney general, he would see a conflict of interest and therefore lead Tom Clark on the Supreme Court to resign and give LBJ the opportunity to make an appointment. So LBJ does this whole 3D chess maneuver, forces out a Supreme Court justice, allows him to put Thurgood Marshall on the court. For anyone who's familiar with LBJ and his time as senator, you know, he understood Washington like no other. So thought it was a really interesting um, anecdote there. Let's fast forward here to 1982. This month in 1982, Diet Coke is introduced for the first time. Coke introduces it in the month of August. Uh, it effectively replaces Tab, which existed for nearly 20 years as its form of diet soda. They released Diet Coke. People cling on to it immediately. And I didn't realize this tab actually existed until 2020. They finally, Coke finally killed it uh, during COVID. Jill, did you ever try tab?
1: I never tried tab, but I also have never tried Diet Coke. So I'm not really the person to talk to. (laughs) I forget about
0: this, Uh, folks. Random fun fact about Jill. She's never tried a carbonated beverage.
1: Unless it's alcoholic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to the 1990s now. This is when Jill peaked. The Late Show with David Letterman premiered on CBS on this day. 30 years ago, uh, he would give Jay Leno a brief run for his money as the number one late night show host until very soon after there was that famous episode where Hugh Grant uh, is caught soliciting a prostitute and uh, he then goes on Jay Leno. Uh, It's this huge moment in 90s uh, late night history. Jay goes back to number one and never really looks back. And finally, two years ago on this day, following that chaotic withdrawal in Afghanistan, The last U.S. troops leave the country 20 years after arriving. All right, we're going to end here with a bit of music history. On this day in 1980, Christopher Cross, not Chris Cross, Christopher (laughs) Cross, completes his meteoric rise with his ballad, Sailing, as it reaches the top of the Billboard charts. Uh, That album, by the way, also has Ride Like the Wind. Jill, a couple soft rock classics. And one more bit of music history on this day, 26 years ago, Mo' Money, Mo' Problems, Mo' News, Mo' Money, Mo' Problems <laughs> by Notorious B.I.G. featuring Puff Daddy and Mase reached number one on the Billboard charts.
1: The Mo' You Know.
0: The Mo' You Know, Mo' Money, Mo' Problems, Mo' News. Jill, one of those amazing 90s classics that still stands the test of time
1: great song reminds me of high school um and still gets me going all right uh big thank you to everyone for listening to the Mo news podcast if you like what you hear share this with your friends it will help us grow we would really appreciate it follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store
0: all right everybody see you tomorrow
1: thanks for listening to the mo news podcast